0: Well, good morning and welcome back. Those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining us. Those out in the uh, the tent, thanks for joining us and for everyone here. Uh, wake up this morning to a free ride. I love the opening of that song, the idea that mountains are high and valleys are low. It's a great analogy for life. And I don't know about you, but I like the mountains are high moments a lot more than the valleys are low moments. Yet today we're going to discover that sometimes... There's these critical moments where you have to go into the valley in order to get to the next mountainside. So to do that, I'd like you to hear a story of a friend of mine, one of our, uh, our, our, our unbelievable camera operators from the past, who zooms in on me nice and close. So if you like the shots, uh, you can thank Roger. Let's give a warm Horizon welcome to Roger. Roger, come on down. <laughs> nice to be with us today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, take me back in time a bit and tell me a little bit about kind of a high point in your career, mm. new job, things are going well, you're at the mountaintop, uh, kind of paint a picture for where you were a few years ago.
1: Well, I spent about 20-some 20, 20 years in the electronics and audio uh, industry working with some of the biggest name brands like Philips Electronics and uh, towards the end there was with Gibson Guitars. And there was a company that lured me away. And they owned a major brand name, electronics brand name, and they hired me to run the United States sales and just grow business. Now, at this time, career's going great, Mm -hmm. money's great, new everyone, contacts in the industry, no-brainer for me. Until one day, um, they called us in for a meeting uh, in Hong Kong. Now, it's... Totally typical for us to go to China, Hong Kong once, twice, even three or four times a year. Now, at this point, I'm feeling very confident. I've just turned You know, you're
0: confident because, I mean, you told me, like, kind of every new career right, you're hoping to hit some peaks. You're like, we're killing it even Absolutely. the first six I months. I just like, turned
1: in a $20 million contract for them, and then we're all on our way to Hong Kong. So I'm feeling great.
0: Yeah, you, you, you seem pretty set for the, next, for the first Absolutely. stage. Okay,
1: so Absolutely. peak, peak, you're, at, you're on the summit, on the way to the big
0: meeting, you're in Hong Kong, and what happens?
1: Totally on the summit. We get to the Hong Kong, all the sales leaders for the countries are there. And we come in this large conference room and we're all sitting around this great big table and they take our cell phones, they take our iPads, they take anything that you can record anything with and two companies from China come in. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well they proceed to tell us how they're gonna manipulate, fake, create fraud reviews online or for Amazon. Mm. So everyone's looking around, can't believe what we've just heard. Everyone knows the first person to speak loses, so no one says a word. Wow. So we basically get up, and we leave, and we go back, and we fly back to our prospective uh, countries. And now that, at this
0: point, are you thinking, this is definitely wrong, this is gray, or it, this is... It
1: totally overwhelming. Okay. Overwhelmed. That flight, I didn't know what to do. So all I did was pray for the next 16 hours. Hmm. Like, what do I do? I'm conflicted. Now the stakes at this point are extremely high. If you get caught, you're fired. Your reputation is horrible. I'll never get another job in the industry. I'll never make the money I'll I'll make again, let alone the legal things that could occur. Sure. I felt like I had a direct line to to Jesus Christ himself on that uh, flight home, because all I was asking, what do I do, what do I do? So it became kind of clear When I did get home, Hmm. what I was going to do, I felt in my heart, I called them up, and I said, hey, the United States is not going to follow protocol with this plan that you have in place. We're going to do it ethically. We're going to go forward and grow the business the way I have for the last 20 years. Immediately, they're like, oh, absolutely, no problem. We'll follow your lead 100%. We value your professionalism.
0: So you're thinking, thank you, God. Good advice. High stakes. I did the right thing. God rewards it. Absolutely. And then?
1: 24 hours later, I get the phone call. Thank you. We're going in a different direction. We appreciate your, your candor, and uh, we're just looking for some, something different. Great. So at this point. So 24 hours later, you're unemployed. I'm unemployed. Now, this is five days before Christmas, too. So I have a choice here. One, I can get out of the electronics industry, which I didn't really enjoy. Did very well because I've been mm-hmm. in it. Or look for something new, but probably never make the money I'm making, or start a brand new career. Very sure. troublesome. So here's where kind of I start looking like hindsight mm-hmm. backwards, it, and I didn't realize that till a year and a half later. But um, over a year ago, I interviewed with a company,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and turned that company down. Yeah, basically. And I was looking on LinkedIn. I'm sure you've heard of it, nice. and I saw a. a now a friend or a contact of mine, and I said, hey, I saw you um, creeping in on my LinkedIn profile. How's business going? What have you been up to? It wasn't 40 minutes later, I'm on a phone call with four of the board members, and they're asking me how everything's going. Hmm. We were surprised when you turned us down over a year, a year, year and a half ago. Would you consider coming to work for us again? Hmm. So now I'm starting to think this is a sign oh, right. in an industry to where it's caring for people, making sure teachers who are all over the United States are covered with uh, personal finances all the way from insurance all the way to uh, everything they would need to sustain mm-hmm. and make sure their life is protected. Yeah. I said yes. And from that moment on, I have never been more fulfilled Happier, excited about going to work, mm. loving the company I'm with. And when we had our national sales meeting last month, they opened with a prayer. It's a Christian based mm. company. Mm. So the money has come. Mm. Uh, I think when you're doing something you love so much, everything mm. just kind of falls in line. So it's been a great experience for me. Just trust in God. Well, how about if you were
0: to jump in a flux capacitor and go back in time, and so you're at this moment where the stakes are high, you know, if you don't do it, you get fired. If you do do it, you could get caught. You know, don't want to have your resume scarred with only being in this company for six minutes, you know, six months, whatever it is. So at that moment when you got this valley you're about to head into, crash and burn, what would you have told yourself then that you only know now if you could have advised yourself?
1: Yeah, looking back... I would say there's a trust in God. Listen to your heart. Mm-hmm. Do what you love. And everything will fall in line and, it will, and it's going to go your way. Just There's a level of trust there. And when you believe it and it's ethical and you're going forward, mm-hmm. you can't lose.
0: Yeah. So even if there's a short-term pain involved, ultimately God worked that together to get you where you are today. Absolutely. Awesome. Can we thank Roger for telling the story today? Thank you, man. Yeah. Hmm. Appreciate it yeah often you'll hear us talk about uh, how we need a community around us just to help with those kind of tough decisions (laughs) and like people to encourage us Uh, Roger's been involved in our our Ken Kington authentic manhood program for for many many years now so if if he's someone you want to connect to and just see if maybe talking business and talking life is something helpful to you because we all go through moments when boy you're at the top of your game but man you got a valley in front of you and the stakes are high, the temptations are high and we need people to come around us that's what we're looking at today. Uh, we're going to look at those kind of setbacks and how those setbacks can be set-ups for comebacks. If isn't that what we all want? I mean, we're all going to have setbacks, right? That's going to be a given. But it's like, how can I really have confidence that this setback could actually be a set-up for something good? For, for a comeback from God in my circumstances? Like, if I could know that, not like, well, that's good for him, that didn't happen to me. Kind of the naive, wishful thinking over here. I don't want naivety. I also don't want the cynical pessimism that I spiral into out of control, you know, negativity. Is there's something in the middle. An unshakable confidence that God could turn your setbacks into a comeback. Now we're going to look at all three of those words today. And here's my hope. My hope is this will help you when you're facing one of those moments of temptation or moments of challenge. That this will give you the confidence to do what's right. Because God will work it out if you trust in him. Number two, that you're going to find that there's no wasted pain. There's nothing more painful than going through difficulty and feeling it's waste, wasted, meaningless pain. What we're today is that God can use setbacks and turn them into setups for comebacks. It means nothing's wasted, even bad things done against you. See, last we left off with Joseph, Joseph got 11 brothers who threw him into a pit. He's deep down into a hole. He gets pulled out, thinks it's good news, and then he's going to find out, well, it's not really great news. He gets sold into slavery. However, he does quite well. He climbs his way up to the top. Is at Potiphar's house. He's still a slave, but he's doing incredibly well. He's flourishing. Just Things are going well. He's been put in charge of everything. He's learned how to run the business, learned Egyptian culture, learned the language. He has really, based on his circumstances, climbed up to the top of the stack. And yet... And yet at the top of the stack, when he thinks like things are going relatively well, Potiphar's wife takes an interest in him at age 18, 19. She begins to flirt with him. She begins to entice him. She begins to go after him. Cougars is not a modern invention, right? I mean, this is like the ultimate cougar moment. I mean, she is after this guy. He keeps saying, no, 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 no. He's 18, he's got opportunity. He's in charge of everything. She finally catches him, maybe coming out of the shower, but clearly he's not wearing much because she grabs his robe and says, basically, take me now. He doesn't have a conversation. This is not a time to chat. He runs. He flees, it says, and leaves his outer garment behind. She's humiliated, even though he did the right thing. And he's repaid by trusting God and doing the right thing by being falsely accused of rape. By his master's wife. His master confronts him. What do you say? Should I call your wife a liar? And Potiphar has now taken this man who's done the right thing and had him thrown in prison. And that's where we pick up our story. You talk about a setback. And here's the thing about setbacks, right? Setbacks are obvious in our circumstances. Like like nobody has to show up and say, I think this might be a setback. I mean, setbacks, is like, no, they come with a sign. I'm a setback. I'm in prison now. Setbacks are obvious in your circumstances. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easier to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get cynical when you hit a setback. Let me show you what it says about about Joseph's life here in Genesis. It says, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. He's now slammed up against the rocks. He's dangling from the rope. He's in prison. And he was there in prison, it says. And sitting there, he must wonder, I should have just slept with her. Should have just said yes. I went from being at the top of the stack to the bottom of the barrel. Is God even trustworthy? And yet, he doesn't. He says, I'm going to trust God during this setback. Enough of it says that God was with him in the prison. While he's there, he meets two other guys. A butcher, I'm sorry, a a taster and a baker. They call him a butler, but he's actually the taster for the pharaoh. So the the taster and the baker show up, and they're in prison. And if you ask them, they would say their setbacks are obvious. (laughs) What do I mean? Well, they're in prison, and the pharaoh's mad at them. Here's what it says about their circumstances. So he's sitting in prison. He's now sitting there with two other guys. Came to pass after these things, he's sitting in prison that the butler, the taster, and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, and pharaoh was angry with his two officers and chief butler and the chief baker. Now, you don't have to ask them, do you think this is a setback to your career? I do think so. I do think he's angry at me. I'm sitting in prison, and I know other people who've been here, and they never got out. Setbacks are obvious. So how do you feel when you come face-to-face with a setback? I mean, for many of us, I worry. I get anxious. I feel like it's all up to me. I got to strategize. Some of us, we double down. Oh, it's a setback. I'm a, this is, I'll try even harder. How do you respond when you come face-to-face with a setback? What's amazing about Joseph, he doesn't He's not stoic. I mean, he cries a lot. Oh, my God, this sucks. This is so terrible. This is so bad. He's very honest about how difficult setbacks are. And yet his emotion in the midst of it is also one of confidence and unshakable hope that God will work despite the fact it doesn't look like God is working. What do I mean? Well, think about how many setbacks he's had. Just think about the up-downs he's had so far from the pit to Potiphar uh, to, to the prison. And let's just look at his circumstances from purely a setback perspective, right? What do we have? I go to visit my brothers. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to help out dad. And I end up what? Sold into slavery, right? That's what I got. I'm hated by my brothers. Thank you very much. I'm thrown into the pit. I'm sold into slavery. And God gave me a dream that I'm going to one day make a difference with my life. It doesn't feel like it. He's sold into slavery. He's now finding himself in Egypt. He does climb his way up. Only to be enslaved to Pharaoh's official, only to be managing a huge estate and falsely accused. A lot of setbacks. Now he's in prison, imprisoned unfairly. He's around Pharaoh's enemies. That can't be good. And any help he gives will ultimately be forgotten. What do you do when everything around you looks like a setback? I don't know if you read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. But he says one of the things that helped him manage business and become successful in business was he was a a mountain climber. A particular guy he ran into who really inspired him to think about the lessons of mountain climbing and how it could make a difference in everyday life was a guy named Nick Sager. See, in 1999, Nick had a dream of reaching the summit, climbing to the top in a place called Rifle Canyon in Colorado. He wanted to climb the crew, a 5.14 level difficulty. But to do that, it would take over a year of training, like training like an Olympic decathlon athlete. So he gets some sponsorships, and he begins to train month after month after month. This particular section, he's going to have to climb up. not going to say climb almost totally vertically, but then he has to climb around, and his whole body weight's going to be dangling to maybe eventually get to the top. He's about halfway through his training, he come home one weekend only to find out that his sponsorship's been yanked. And his dream of making this his his summit, becoming popular, writing books, all his career was built on this thing and suddenly he's devastated. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He shows back up to the park and his hope is that he'll just grab his stuff and figure out what he's going to do with his life next. He picks up his gear and as he's kind of taking it home and kind of doing the walk of failure. As he's walking out to his car, Herman shows up. Herman's in his 50s. And Herman's got a wad of cash in his hand. He says, Nick, I've been watching you the last six months. Nick didn't think anybody had been watching him. Now I've been watching you train. I've been watching you work hard. I've been watching your diligence. I've been watching how you worked in the moments you didn't think anyone was watching. I'm in my 50s now. I'm never going to be able to climb that thing. But you've got to finish this. And here's the resources you need to keep on keeping on. Well, with newfound inspiration, he's got resources beyond himself. He's, he initially said no, he then eventually got talked into it. He said, Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. He continues his training. He's back into his training. He finally has found a path up through the crew and he's made his way up and he's almost about two-thirds of the way up there. There's one particular foothold that's just critical to be able to make this critical turn. He's holding onto his fingertips and as he's just about there, this is going to be the day. I'm finally going to make it. Snap! That foothold breaks and he dangles down from the rope. It took him months to find this path and he realizes he's just done. He's just spent. In fact... We called the photographer who took this picture to get permission to show it, who knows Nick. And that's a picture of Nick trying to climb that, trying to climb one of his many parks. He said, my friends came around me and they began to encourage me. They began to inspire me then, say, you can't give up, we're here, we believe in you, can do this. They began to encourage him, put courage into him, and sure enough, he took one more shot. By the time he got trained back up to do it again, it was now winter. There's snow covered. He's trying to claw and climb his way up, now covered in snow. He found another way past that foothold, and he finally, in the snow with his fingers freezing cold, yanked and pulled up and touched the summit with incredible cheers and celebration. When Jim Collin asked him, What did you learn? he said, I learned a lot of things that have nothing to do with climbing. One, you need resources beyond yourself to be successful. And number two, you need a community to encourage you during those times of setback. It's why we as a church are trying to help you get resources, God's resources, to give you the forgiveness and the courage and the strength you need when you run out of resources when setbacks come your way. It's why we have small groups. I encourage you to join, to try one, coming to one of our, our men's groups or, or women's groups because we need other people to put courage in us when you face these setback moments. And to say, how can I have confidence without being naive or engaging in magical thinking that this setback could be a set up? So let's review Joseph's life from the perspective of set up. You see, while, while setbacks are obvious in a situation, set ups are hidden. They're hidden. You don't see them often until years later. They're hidden in our circumstances. They're hard to see. And even in this passage, they're hidden. But if you look closely, if you lean in, you begin to see the hidden set-ups in the middle of the setbacks. Remember, Remember our story began with him sitting in prison? And what did it say? Joseph sat in a prison where? Right? Look what it says in Genesis. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where... How would you finish the sentence? A place where he was depressed... A place where he would rot. A place where he lost hope. A place where nothing really seemed to matter and good deeds truly do go punished. But look what it says. A place where the king's prisoners were confined. Is that good or bad? Hmm. He now has access to VIPs. He now is one step removed from the king of the known world. Because he's a nobody there in prison, he begins to hear how government really works (laughs) because the king's enemies are sitting there gossiping about what happens and why the kingdom should run certain ways and what would be better and what the king likes and what the king doesn't. He has the ultimate access points to how the government and how the world works sitting in this prison. Well, two prisoners get thrown in there. Now, remember, he decides to trust God while he's in there, and he does continue to serve. And God gives him success in the midst of this. Here's what it says. Next next slide. He was there in prison, but instead of pessimistic negativity or naive optimism, he chooses unshakable hope. And God was with him. In prison, God was with him. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners he's now in charge of. He interviews them, he talks to them, he serves them, he prepares them. Well, I guess it's the best you can do. You're a slave, you're doing successfully in prison. This is the best you can do in these circumstances. Oh, well, it's more than that. He's in charge of all the prisoners. And suddenly, a few years later, the day comes that two particular prisoners get thrown in there a butler and a baker. And as Joseph has done in every situation in his life, he looks for ways to trust God and serve people wherever he is. And it says exactly that. When the baker and the butler come in, it says, Joseph, serve them. Look how it says it. Next verse. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. You're in charge of these two. Pharaoh just sent him in. And he served them. Just like he served Potiphar, just like he tried to serve his brothers he made his life about serving wherever he was. He served them. So they were in custody for a while, and Joseph asked his officers. So Joseph is so attentive to his fellow prisoners, he notices when they have a bad day. He notices that something, something's going on that's pretty serious. He notices that they're sad. He says, why do you look sad today? And again, we just see Joseph in the midst of his circumstances serving and caring and looking out for other people. And they say, well, we've had a dream. And they have two different dreams. The one, the taster, the butler, has a a dream of a a vine. And the vine has three kind of sub-vines that come out of it. And he woke up. No, this means something, but I don't know what it means. Now, remember Joseph began our whole journey because he was a dreamer. God gave him a dream that one day he would rule the world. But that dream seems like it's been smashed. For the first time, dreams show back up. He's like, "I I don't know what this dream means. The baker says, I had a dream too, but I want to talk about it. And he says, well, how can I serve you? I can't interpret dreams, but my God can. I'll pray and ask him. And sure enough, do, do not interpretations belong to God? And he begins to, to, to console this man and comfort this man. He prays, and God gives him the, the interpretation. He says, listen, it turns out you've been falsely accused. <laughs> I wish I got a dream like this. And the Pharaoh's going to find out that it wasn't you. And those three vines represent three days. Though you're down three days later, you're going to be restored to the king. And haven't I been kind to you the last couple years? Yeah. Haven't I served you? Yeah. Please don't forget me. I, am a, I shouldn't even be here. I, I've been in prison falsely for something I didn't do. I've been sold into slavery. Please, when God restores you to this position, and he will, please remember me. Do you think he remembers him? <laughs> we'll see. Well, the baker's listening in on this. He's like, hey, well, I got a dream. That sounds pretty good. I got a dream too. I want some of that. What's your dream? Well, I had a dream that there were three he's a baker, three pieces of bread. And and the three bread uh, suddenly these birds come down like chirp 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 tweet 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 they ate all the bread. What does that mean? She's like well, let me pray about that. And now the the butler's going to see this is a guy who speaks the truth whether it's good news or bad news. He doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. He serves him and says, "Man, I'm so sorry, but it turns out you did do what the Pharaoh thinks you did." And those three pieces of bread are three days. And three days, the king's going to have you executed for what you've done. Oh. Now Remember, Joseph's got two tools he uses in the middle of setbacks, in the middle of trusting God for setups. We've studied this for four weeks now. Number one is unshakable hope, which we've defined as God knows what he's doing, (laughs) even if it doesn't feel like it. And he will eventually work out his plans. And I have confidence in that. Number two, I'm going to relentlessly serve other people no matter what circumstance I'm in. And that's what God will honor again and again and again. With that in mind, let's go back and revisit his three steps. And look how God has been using those exact circumstances as setups for his plan. He's in a pit. And it just so happens of all the traitors that could come by, traders going to Egypt come by. If God has a dream of getting him to Egypt, that's a setup for God's plan. Huh. Then he gets to Potiphar's house, and he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the culture, but he's going to succeed for many, many years. He's going to be in slavery, but it's going to give him time to learn the culture learn the Egyptian language, he learns, remember, it's Pharaoh's official, he already knows how the private industry works in association with the government, he's now learning how to manage all of private industry and public ministry and interact with the who's who and all of the decision makers he's going to need by the time the dream is fulfilled. Hmm. Well, certainly there's no setup in prison. Ah. Except that now in prison, he learns how the officials viewed Pharaoh, how things work around there, and now he's serving and has access to VIPs that a Hebrew and a slave and a prisoner would never have. Do you see it? These setbacks were all set ups for a comeback with God. That's what a comeback is. Comeback is simply a setback turned into a setup in your circumstances. And that's what God has for you, and that's what God has for me. And what if you could have the perspective, the confident, unshakable hope that you could have a comeback? That right now you could list the obvious setbacks in your life, and I could too, and I'd probably cry with you and say, man, that's terrible, I'm so sorry. But what if in the middle that you could trust that those setbacks would would be a comeback? So what's a comeback again? Well, let me put it up on the screen. Here's a comeback. They're just setbacks. Into setups in our circumstances. So he's just interpreted the dream, and sure enough, it's exactly what happens. Look what it says in Genesis it says that he gets restored. The butler gets restored. He restored the chief butler to his butlership again. He placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted the dreams. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph. Isn't that about right? You serve a guy when he's down. You help him when he nobody else wants to be his friend. You're there for him. You save the world. You tell him his whole life's gonna be put back on the right track, and they forget about you, right? But forgot him. And then you don't really want to bring up the time that your boss threw you in prison, right? It's not a good time to bring that up later. And Joseph sits there for two full years and I think they were full years and then Pharaoh has a dream that nobody can interpret and nobody knows what it means and in that moment that butler will go huh I know a guy two years ago and in literally 24 hours he will go from rotting in a jail cell to being washed up and dressed up and standing before Pharaoh who will ask, Can you interpret my dream of seven big cows coming out of the Nile? Second one, third one, eat more chicken. Followed by seven skinny cows, the scrawny ones who come out of the Nile and they eat the big cows. And nobody has any idea how to interpret this thing. But Joseph's now standing before the Pharaoh. If God can do that in Joseph's life, maybe he could do that in yours. I'll tell you a story about Chuck. Chuck was a powerful, powerful man, and he had made his career ambitions. I met Chuck once about, oh, I guess twelve years ago. And Chuck, uh, his ambition was really just to be powerful. And he made it. He was uh, in the office next to the White House. Chuck was so powerful, he was known as the hatchet man for Richard Nixon. He had a sign actually on his wall that said, when you got him by the hmm, 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 you can lead him anywhere. That was the sign on his wall in his office. When the Watergate scandal came down, this man who controlled senators and congressmen and moved mover and shaker for the whole world, he was indicted and thrown in prison. And in 24 hours, nobody cared about him. Nobody came to visit him. He no longer had any power. His life was meaningless. Lost and lonely. Lonely. The CEO of a, a battery company read about him in the newspaper in the middle of all the Watergate scandal. CEO came and visited him at prison. He said, Chuck, it was Chuck Colson. Chuck, uh, God's got a plan for you. You built your whole life not on serving other people but serving yourself and being powerful and you know, getting whatever you wanted. But God came to earth through Jesus Christ to die for your selfishness and mine. I'm a powerful person, but I try to be a servant leader because I've met someone, Jesus, who's a servant leader, and I think he could bring purpose and meaning to your life. Chuck Colson, through a whole series of meetings and conversations over the years of his time in prison, became a follower of Jesus. And when he got out from prison, he decided not to go back into politics, but to start something called prison fellowship, where he began to train chaplains to go into prisons to give people hope who were sitting in prison and had no meaning and hope, and that's what he devoted the next decade or two of his life to. Put Chuck on the, sh- on the shelf for a second. I called my buddy Mark this week. Maybe you might remember Mark Whitaker. I talked to him on the phone yesterday to make sure I had the story right. Mark is in his 20s. He's flying around a private airplane. He's got a PhD, doing quite well, thank you very much. But he's stressed out. He's stressed out because he and his buddies are engaging in the largest price-fixing scheme in world history. They've fixed the price of corn, which is in everything we buy. 30 or 40 different companies and executives are involved, and they are making a killing. But he is stressed out. He comes home one day, and his wife is just trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And finally, he kind of breaks the news that he's part of the largest price-fixing scheme in human history which she says, I love you, I'm going to be here for you, you need to turn yourself into the FBI. Nice talk, honey. <laughs> and he does it. He walks into the FBI, his movies, uh, his story is told by Matt Damon, plays him in the movie The Informant. He walks into the FBI, and they don't know there's a price-fixing scheme going on, let alone they have an informant. He becomes the longest civilian informant in American history working for the FBI. Three years, he takes this stupid lamp with this tape recorder in it from Hong Kong to everywhere else to record it, and eventually 30 executives will be indicted for the largest price-fixing scheme in human history. At the end of that time, the FBI has rewarded him, thanked him for the incredible service he did. They never would have got this information. And they say, tell you what, because of what you've done, everyone else is going to prison for decades, six months for your cooperation. And Mark said, I was so mad at my wife for making me do this. I didn't deserve any time. I said, not a chance. And I turned away six months in prison. I had my day in court, he said. I got eight and a half years. And During that eight and a half years in prison, his wife came with the family every single day. Like she promised. 99% divorce rate for those who are in prison. Every day. He came. She came. And about a week in, a guy came to visit him on a Saturday named Chuck Colson. He said, I've been where you are, I've done things you've done, and I found someone who could forgive me and lead me and turn my life over again. Chuck will spend seven hours with him every Saturday for the next eight years. He didn't think he could be a Christian and, and be a scientist. He began to introduce him to Isaac Newton, who wrote as much about the Bible as he did about physics. He began to introduce him to Johann Kepler and the writings of many Christian scientists. And Mark will eventually come to the place he believes in Jesus. And he wants to live a different way and serve a different way and invest in other people in different ways. And God began to use his prison time. He says, I realized if I'd been in six months, I would have come out the same greedy, self-centered person I always had been. It took eight years to finally humble me. And God used all that seemingly wasted time to turn me into somebody different. He now tours the world and tells people about his story. Except recently he began to work for Coca-Cola not Coca-Cola in Atlanta, a Coca-Cola bottling company in, in North Carolina, which is run by a Christian CEO who pretty much has 17,000 employees, 100 chaplains on staff, and they run their company in such a way that they have spiritual advisors available to people, Bible studies available to people, and they help people find meaning and purpose in the workplace. And God used the prison time in Chuck's life to impact... Mark, in his prison time, to set him up for meaning and purpose, he says, the next 10 years, the impact I'm going to have because of what I learned in prison. Now, that's a comeback, right? If God can do that, not just in Joseph's life, out huh, in the Bible, in real people's life in history, I want to encourage you to trust God to be your comeback champion without presuming the now or the how. That's the hard part. Like if I'm Joseph, I get a dream. I'm like, great, I'm going to rule the world now. No, not yet. Ten years later. Ah, <gasps> But my idea is so good. Not now. You see, if you were trying to figure out how to get Joseph to rule the world in front of Pharaoh, of all the paths I'd take, it never would have been how it happened. Right? Would you have th- I would come up with that. Isn't that true in life that often, if if you trust God to be your comeback champion, you're going to have to do it without saying, but God, I don't know how you're going to do it, and I'm not going to presume I know better than you the timing. Because Joseph does stand before Pharaoh, and look at how often he trusts God to be the comeback champion. It It just litters his language. You want to know what that dream means, Joseph says? I can't tell you. I'd be like, I can tell you. Get me out of prison. Interpretations belong to God. I'm trusting God to work here. And Joseph says to the Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do in the future. And Pharaoh is so impressed with this ambition mixed with humility, this wisdom mixed with servanthood, that he says to his advisors, hey, can anyone find someone in whom the spirit of God rests like this kid? Who's 30 now? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. He's unshakable. He's got this unshakable hope that makes people who don't even believe the way he believes say, I want some of that. And the Bible gives more chapters to Joseph than to any other character in the Old Testament as far as narrative because it outlines the ultimate Joseph. It's how God's plan works. God says he's going to send a Messiah who's going to one day rule the world and serve people. He's going to save his people, the Jewish people, and Gentiles just like Joseph did. But in order to get there, the kingdom did not come how they thought, and it didn't come now. Jesus came, and he, too, was rejected by his brethren. He, too, was thought to be dead. He, too, was later found to be alive. And you remember those dreams? Three days you'll be raised up. Three days you'll be restored. Hmm. And yet Jesus comes, and just when the disciples are like, now are you going to bring the kingdom? Now are you going to bring the kingdom? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. How are you going to do it? How are you going to take care of the Romans? Nope, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. He came through dying on a cross, and three days later he was restored. if god can do that with an old roman cross think what he could do with your circumstances your setbacks can be setups for god to be your comeback champion so you can have unshakable confidence As you hear this next song ask yourself if you don't want some of this If you knew that God could use all the good stuff and bad stuff in your life and use it for good, what kind of confidence and championship would you live life with? Let me give you a chance to pray, and then we got two more weeks in this series as we dig into how the power comes of rethinking about these, these, these waiting times in your life next week and ultimately the week after. How do we forgive those people who put us in that prison? Let's pray together. Maybe you want to pray. Say, God, I want some of that. I want unshakable confidence that you are with me. I want to trust that what you did with Jesus, you can do with me. And what you did with Joseph, you can do with me. Forgive me for living for self, and give me the confidence that you are with me in my current circumstances. I'm trusting you for a comeback, in Jesus' name, amen. I hope today gave you hope. Hope you enjoyed it and had some fun. And we look forward to seeing you next week as we learn how to wait well. See you next week.